Hey everybody, welcome to episode 20 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, uh, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, and with me as always is SCG standout, Collins Mullen. How's it going, Collins? Pretty great, pretty great. Yeah, you're doing uh, some prep for the Invitational? I mean, that's in like like two days now, kind of, so... So yeah, there. I'm super excited for the Invitational this coming weekend. Yeah, pretty much. I uh, I'm in a I'm in a pretty cool position where I'm actually going into the Invitational number one in the current season for the Star City leaderboard. So I'm kind of and number two is my teammate Jonathan Rossum. So we're we're kind of having a little healthy rivalry here, competing for you know I'm trying to maintain my my number one slot to to end the season, which I think would be just kind of like a, you know a cool thing to do. And he he's after me though, so that's that's fun. <laughs> that's that's a pretty dope story storyline going into the tournament. Um, yeah, so the yeah. the leaderboard shows like the 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 past two seasons, right? Like the current season and the last season added together. That's why Todd is in front. Well, so yeah, so there's if you go to the website, there's the overall leaderboard, which I think is like a culmination of the last year, and then there's another tab that's the seasonal stuff. And the seasonal stuff is how they do pay out for, like, you know, sets of uh, Ixalan and Rivals of Ixalan and stuff like that. So that's that's why that second part's important. But yeah, nobody's nobody's catching Todd, and I think Todd actually locked up Player of the Year, because I think this might be the last season for that, is what I heard. So even if, like, I win the Invitational and he doesn't get any points, he's still over 50 points ahead of me. Yeah, yeah, I think he's mathematically locked in. Yeah, so congrats to him. Well done. He had a pretty insane year. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's kind of what's going on with me. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll get into all of your your testing and stuff you've been doing in just a minute. Um, before we get to that, we have kind of uh, something a little more serious to talk about. Um, yeah, and this yeah. is you know uh, if you've been completely living under a rock and not checking Twitter and not checking Reddit and not talking to anybody who plays Magic, you might not know what's been going on, but it sort of got kicked off this past week when Christine Sprankle, kind of the the biggest name in MTG cosplaying, uh, said that she was stepping away from Magic for a while because the harassment had gotten so bad. It came to light that it was kind of because of one particular content creator who makes some pretty gnarly YouTube content and his followers tend to go and attack whichever target he's focused on in any particular video um, and some other content creators in the community. I know the professor from Tolarian Community College and Wedge from the Manasaurus also came out and said that like the past year of their lives has been miserable because they've been attacked by these people uh, over the internet. I think that to be silent is to be complicit in this sort of abuse and harassment. So I I think it's really important for us to at least take a couple of minutes to show our support for these people who have been targeted by some pretty malicious elements of our community uh, and maybe talk about, you know, ways that, that we can make, make things a little bit more positive. So I don't know what your, your thoughts about this. I, I'm sure that you've seen, you know, all this stuff that's been going on lately, so... Yeah, I mean, I've been keeping up with everything, and and a lot has already been said. I think that if you want to learn more about it, just today there was a 
kind of like a open letter to the community from various magic professionals that was posted on Star City Games and TCG Player and uh, Channel Fireball. So if you if you kind of want to read that open letter that a bunch of uh, named players kind of signed, probably be a good place to start. The only really thing that I can add to that is that in order to move on from this, I think that it's important to kind of start a movement that pretty much every individual in the magic community has to participate in. I think that if we're going to change as a community, then each person that's in this community, you know, whether or not you believe that you're like doing the right thing every time, kind of like takes a step back and focuses on the, the way that they're acting in the magic community and how that impacts and has the potential to impact other people. And I think that's kind of like an important message for everybody in the community. But specifically, I think it's an even more important message for the content producers that are in this community to just make sure that they understand that the words that they say are going to influence what their followers believe is appropriate. And uh, I think that, you know, in this instance, either you are like a genuinely bad person and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and have all these ideas and your opinion is not going to be changed. And if that's the case, then we don't want you in our community. Or you're, you're saying some unhealthy things that you might not realize, but you have good intentions. And if that's the case, then you have the opportunity to grow and kind of like listen to the things that people are telling you that, you know, the, the things that you're saying are bad and influencing other people in a negative way. So, you know, if you, if you truly do have good intentions and it's not really up for anybody other than yourself to decide whether or not you do, I think it's either way, it's a good point for you to be able to step back and take a closer look at, you know, the actions that you're taking and how those might impact the other people that are in our community. So, yeah, I think that that's definitely a, a you know, a big message to all the content producers that are out there. And there are a lot of content producers out there for Magic. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a, a very, you know, vast growing community. So, yeah, I think it's just, you know, it's important to, to notice um, and kind of care about the things that you say and, and how they can be perceived and how they might influence the people that are, you know, consuming your content and what they might think as well. Yeah, and I think that the content producer portion of this situation is actually a really important one because a bunch of the people that have been targeted are content producers that it seems like in the opinion of this particular content producer were not creating valid content and that was a reason that they should be attacked. But there's more to content about magic or related to magic than like talking about which deck you should use to win the next SCG Open with. Like, the fact that somebody can cosplay magic and, like, create this super creative, neat stuff. Like, like this isn't my interest area. I didn't go over and get pictures taken with, with Christine at SCG events, but it was really cool to see her there and see, like, a totally different side of magic that pulls people in who, who wouldn't necessarily be attracted to the SCG scene or something like that. Um, and that's really neat that that exists and to say that there are like particular forms of magic content that are legitimate and per certain forms that aren't is pretty lame because there's lots of cool stuff being made and uh, you know we have a relatively small platform but we're growing and I, I think it's important as content creators to support other content creators because this is a really cool thing that we get to do and why would you exclude anybody from that? 
Right, and that's kind of like one of the things that I love the most about magic is that there are so many different elements of magic that people love for different reasons. And, you know, our podcast in particular is like, it's more spiky oriented where we're focusing on like the competitive aspect and everything. But that's just kind of like a narrow slice of what magic is. We, we love the competitive game and that's why we are personally invested in it. But one thing that I love about the community is that there are so many other portions of the game itself, the story, the just like the general enjoyment of the game without competitiveness. There's, you know, so many, so many aspects of this game that people love and, you know, just, you know, let people like things. It's not, it's not really up to you to uh, (laughs) say what is good and or bad to enjoy about something. It's just, you know, it's up to each individual. So um, I think that it's important to, you know, stay inclusive and make sure that the the magic community as a whole is still a place where anybody no matter who you are can can enjoy being part of this community yeah we are all pretending to be wizards throwing fireballs at each other so who are we to say that <laughs> yeah, yeah some of those wizards belong more than other ones and i i don't want to ignore the gender issues at, at stake here and i do want to point out that that is a part of this um because i think like as guys it can be very easy to ignore that and think like oh this is a bully being a jerk to lots of people but in particular i i think it's really important to be aware of the ways in which women are pushed out of gaming in general and magic is included in that aaron campbell had a a really powerful series of posts where she talked about like research she did as a community manager about why women were leaving the game or why they didn't show up to tournaments and a lot of it was at local like store level they'd show up to tournaments and people would make comments about having lost to a girl like very loudly just other little small things that that make women know that they're not really supposed to be there this is where this is where guys play magic and so i I would encourage everyone to just sort of check their own behavior and, and see if you're doing anything like that because it's usually not intentional. It's usually you, you don't even realize that you're not used to a girl being there. So you make a comment that, that would make her feel like it's surprising that she's there. And that's enough to make somebody, you know, not really want to come back. That aspect of it, I, I would encourage people to be as thoughtful as they can about. Yeah. I think that you made some good points for sure. Um, yeah. So this is more serious than any amount of deck techs or <laughs> your own personal play like this is yeah. this is a really big deal and and so yeah it deserves a lot of thought M- right. much more thought than we can give it on a magic podcast but if we ignored it i think that would be really lame for sure yeah i mean i think that that's just kind of like a good uh, a good thing to put out there and just like a like if anybody's gonna have any homework i think that is to reflect on themselves and uh, think about whether or not they think that they're doing the right thing in the best interest of the community as a whole you know, and that's kind of like, that's all we can do is, is we can ask every individual to check themselves, I guess. Because nobody, nobody can, you know, you can, you can tell somebody that they're doing the wrong thing as much as you want, but whether or not they listen to you and change is up to them. So, you know, I think that the best way to go about it is to reach out to them and, and ask for that. So, yep. Yep. And point it out to your friends when they're, when they're not, you know, being super great, like, we're smart people. We're a good community, and we can we can do good things. We can be better. I have, I have confidence that we can, and that's mm-hmm. that's really all that I want to say about that. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. So magic. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about the Invitational in just a second, but first I figured we'd take a minute or two and preview the World Magic Cup, because that is also starting this weekend. And I actually have no idea which of these two tournaments is likely to get more viewers. Like, World Magic Cup is a pretty big deal, but the SEG Invitational has, I assume, Cedric and Patrick commentating on it, so it's going to be a pretty pretty close contest. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, I'll be participating in one of the events, so I, I'm, I'm actually kind of, like, interested in seeing what comes out of the World Magic Cup, but it's kind of strangely difficult for me to follow because just like the the format is like unique and different and not something that i anticipate participating in anytime soon so it's kind of hard for me to personally be invested in it but i i do think it's like a very genuinely interesting thing to to like have exist and and i'm definitely going to be keeping my ear to the ground even at the invitational as to like who's doing well in the world magic cup so should be fun yeah yeah, if uh, if we could replace standard with team unified standard until Rivals of Ixalan comes out, I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't complain about that too much. Right. Yeah. 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 All the unified formats are are super interesting and don't don't exist very much, so they don't like get the treatment that the rest of the more common formats do in terms of like millions of people are grinding that format and figuring out exactly what's the best. Like each like there's so much room for innovation in in these like super fresh formats. And I think that's kind of why they have them at these super high level events like the World Magic Cup where, you know, they want to see new interesting things and they're going to put like the best players in the world to the task of seeing what they can come up with in those, you know, un- new and interesting formats. So, right, right. Should be interesting. You know, that was traditionally the advantage of the pro tour happening so soon after the release of a set as you just like unleashed a bunch of great players and great teams on brand new cards. It's tough to make that fair on the RPTQ winners and that sort of thing. So this mm-hmm. this seems like a, a, a cool place to be able to do something like that where you just have to, you got you to gotta break this format that nobody's been playing. So it'll definitely be neat to see. You know, most of the third decks in the format right now, I mean, we've got Teamer, we've got Mono Red, and then all of the third decks in the format are kind of things that are designed, whether it works out or not, they're designed to try to crush Teamer. And that doesn't work <laughs> for your third third deck on your team because only one of the other guys is going to be playing teamer so we'll probably see some brews for that third seat Uh, i'm definitely interested in seeing what happens yeah i mean standard in particular is definitely an interesting format to unify in that way because typically a lot of the unified formats are like modern or something a little more Mm -hmm. like with a bigger card pool but you know i guess standard does have a pretty vast card pool at the moment but yeah it's it'll be interesting to see what people will come up with yeah yeah, unified modern is easy. It just means Affinity can't have Thoughtseize in its sideboard, and you're done. Right. Yeah. So, but there's there's so many cards that you see in pretty much every standard list. Like you know, a braid comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, how are you gonna shift up your braids between your teamer deck and your mono red deck? Um, well, you can't. Interesting things. The the way they do it now is if you have any in one deck, it can't be in any of the other decks, right? Right. Right. Oh so, yeah, yeah, for sure. So you got to pick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's tough. You know, if you pick wrong yeah. and the, that one is the one that gets matched up against God Pharaoh's Gift, then... Right, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Sad day. <laughs> it should be interesting. Yeah, also the structure of the tournament is a little bit weird. So day two isn't just Swiss rounds. They they divide the teams up into groups. It's a little weird because they get put into groups of, I think, four teams. 
and then everybody who comes out of that with two wins after three rounds moves on. So, like, after two rounds, you'll have a 2-0 and team, an 0-2 team, and two 1-1 and teams. The 0-2 team is out, and the 2-0 and team, like, automatically moves on. They get to just chill during that, that next round as the 1-1 and teams play against each other. It's actually kind of weird because then for the top eight standings for deciding who goes first, they the teams that 2-0'd like get counted as though they got a win for that third round, even though they don't even play. I don't I don't know, man. The structure is just very odd to me, and I don't know if this is a, a problem with it, but it seems like winning your first two matches in each of the two like group rounds is really important because that gives you three wins, and then that puts your team on the play if you make top eight. Yeah, definitely a different sort of format, and I, I wonder if they haven't worked out all of the kinks. It's it's definitely interesting to see them like trying out new things. I think that in general, I like the fact that they're trying out new things, just because yeah, um, you know the impact that this has on this tournament is le- like it's it's still like a format that's people are still trying out new things, and I think that that's good in terms of like the future of team events. And I, mm-hmm. I think that any opportunity that they have to try out new things and see what works and what doesn't work is like good for the future of team events because I do think that team events in particular is like a pretty important part of Magic's future in a certain way. So I'm glad that they're not afraid to try out new things. Yeah, definitely. And I don't remember exactly what the, the tournament structure was last year. So I don't remember if they use this or not. But, you know, one of the things I'm hoping for is an incorporation with the Pro Tour teams a little more. I, I think I was pretty excited to see it be a thing and see where we went with these Pro teams and where it went was not actually that far. So I don't think that they really change it up too much for this season, but you know, I think there's a lot of things that could be done there to have the teams actually playing against each other in team formats. And I think the Team Pro Tour this season is gonna be a, a big deal. And that, that may be sort of the thing that turns the Pro Tour teams into something that makes a lot more sense. So yeah. I, I guess that's what I'm really excited about. For sure, for sure. But yeah, anything else we can say about the World Magic Cup has pretty much been said. Brazil is stacked, USA is stacked, Japan is, has Yuya and Shota on it, so Japan is stacked. I kind of mostly expect to see one of those teams at least in the top eight. And then beyond that, let's see what happens in Unified Standard. Right, yeah, for sure. Um, but it, you know, I think that if, if history has told us anything about these World Magic Cups is that we always talk about these stacked teams at the beginning of the year, but it always seems like... You know who's the reigning champion for for worlds, isn't it? Like Greece, something. So like there, there's definitely opportunity for for the underdogs to definitely make a name for themselves. So it's always fun, kind of like seeing seeing that happen. But of course, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be rooting for Team USA. It's hard to hard <laughs> well, to go wrong with uh, Jerry Thompson and Reed Duke and Tomiko on the same team. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty Just dynamic good guys there, squad. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and we saw a similar thing with the last team open, you know, these super stack teams like PGO and friend <laughs> didn't get there. So right. <laughs> yeah, these team things can be super unpredictable and fun to watch. Yeah. That said, I am probably going to be spending more time watching uh, the SCG Invitational this weekend. Mostly, of course. mostly trying to catch your mug on camera. Is the, <laughs> idea, yeah, yours truly will be there trying to... Trying to rack up another invitational top eight. 
Um, yeah. Invitationals are probably my favorite tournament of the year. And maybe part of that's just because I haven't been to a Pro Tour yet, but Invitationals are always something I'm super, super excited for. Just because the I, I really like the challenge of the split format of you know having to focus on two decks coming into the event. It kind of poses its own unique experience, I guess. Yeah, is that mostly just like a time management challenge or, or what else is going on there? Um, it kind of depends on which formats it is. I think that for modern in particular, it's each individual has a format that they're lacking in, and I think that that's important for everybody to know and to like. Some players on my team are like super set on playing their standard deck, and they've been playing it for a while. But in modern, they kind of don't really know where what's going on or what they're doing or where they fit in really. And then kind of for some other people, it's it, for a lot of other people, I think it's the other way around where everybody's got their modern deck and they're pretty happy with it and they're not really going to diverge too much. We might be tuning our list a little bit to what we expect to see, but in standard, we just have no idea what's going on. So <laughs> uh, the challenge of like, you know, finding a comfortable spot to be in, because uh, I think that's just kind of the most important thing to going into these events is that you want to be playing decks that you are pretty comfortable with. Um, and I think that's just something that you should always strive towards in any tournament that you play in, but I think that in the Invitational in particular, it's it's definitely something to make sure that that's kind of the spot that you're in. You don't want to be playing a deck for the first time at the Invitational. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Especially because it's so easy to sit down for round one or two and you're playing against Brad, Brad Nelson or Todd Stevens or something, and if at the same time you're like not recognizing the cards in your hand, that's, that's not a combo. <laughs> Right, right, for sure. The competition is just another thing that I always enjoy. I think one of the reasons that I'm so much looking forward to playing on the Pro Tour is I personally feel like I often play up a little bit. And by that, I mean I play better when I know that my opponent is more skilled than I am. Like, especially at the Inventational, I feel like, you know, I'm playing against people like the Brad Nelsons and the Jerry Thompsons of the world where I know that they're very, very capable, and that makes me want to do as best as I can. And I just enjoy that. I think that, you know, it brings the best out of me. Because I think that, it, you know, if you're playing against, you know, just like at an open in the early rounds or whatever, you're playing against whoever and you don't know them, you, like, there, there isn't as much pressure there because, you know, you, you're not really going to put your best foot forward uh, as proactively like of course you're still going to try your hardest and everything but you're you're not going to be looking for like every inch like you are in in the matches against uh the best players in the world so yeah um that's that's an element of the invitational that i really enjoy yeah that's awesome i uh i wish i could say that i play up like that but i think a couple <laughs> of my my past rounds my recent rounds against name pros have been uh less than stellar performances on my oh, no. part <laughs> i see uh like i've, I've split them but uh my play has not been ideal and like i i played against brad in the last invitational uh he was on teamer and i was on mono white oketra's monument yeah. and this is a trigger heavy deck with lots of tokens that i had only really played online before that tournament uh and i just played atrociously versus him but you know, it was like a an eighty percent matchup or something, so it didn't really matter. But it was really, <laughs> yeah. really embarrassing, especially when people were walking over because it was Brad Nelson and our match lasted forever. Uh, yeah, and I yeah, just yeah. like missed missed a trigger, didn't get a soldier when I was supposed to, and it was it was atrocious. 
Yeah. So that's yeah, embarrassing. I mean, happen. I think that people kind of have their own different reactions. Uh, I've definitely played against a lot of people, like on camera, where I could definitely tell that they were kind of like scared of being under the lights like that. Like sometimes I'll play against somebody on camera in like the early rounds of an open or something and they're like kind of nervous and asking the spotter judge a lot of questions and being like are we on camera yet or whatever and I can just kind of tell that that's affecting them. Yeah and people have definitely made pretty severe misplays against me under those conditions. So I, I do think that I get a little bit of an edge there just because I'm used to it by now and I think that that's just an edge that a lot of people who are used to that atmosphere are gonna have. Yeah, I, I just think that it affects everybody kind of in, 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 in a unique way. But uh, personally, I, I like the challenge and I uh, kind of have a like a bring it on mentality of like, yeah, this is an opportunity for me to prove my salt a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think that's that's really healthy. Fortunately, the cameras don't really bother me that much usually. I think because the first time I was on camera, it, like except for like long ago, but the first time I was on camera recently... I just got, like, I thought I was dead to top eight, and then it turned out in the last round that maybe we could have, and then by the end of our round, it turned out that, like, it was actually a win and in for either of us. We had we were in the feature match area, but shuffled off to the side, and we were right, both, right. like, joking because we thought it was kind of a nonsense match, but then eventually it turned out that it mattered, and that was just a weird way of, like, easing myself into being on camera in the feature match, and then it just, like, <laughs> it didn't really bother me after that somehow, so... Yeah. So that's decent. <laughs> that's good, for sure. Yeah, you just kind of were able to step into it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So you've been working on your decks. What do we got? What are we looking at for this weekend? <laughs> well, in modern, I think it's kind of no surprise to anybody that I'm going to be sticking with uh, humans. Gasp. Gasp, I know. Uh, it's funny because I I feel like on the podcast, like the week after Cincinnati, I talked about it and I was like, yeah, I'm probably just not going to play this deck again. You know, I'm going to be looking for the next big thing. But here we are. It turns out the deck is nuts and a lot of other people are playing it and it's had an impact on the metagame and it's really awesome to see. And yeah, there's just kind of no reason for me to... F I mean, I guess there are a few reasons that I would switch to something else, but not really enough of a reason. Kind of the argument is that the resurgence of Jeskai Tempo is yep. pushing down on humans a little bit. And it is true that given the current stats that we have online or whatever, Jeskai Tempo is the most popular deck in modern. And it is also very clear that it's got an excellent matchup against humans. But I think that swaying away from a deck that you're very, very comfortable with and you think that is pretty well set up against all the other decks in the format is kind of a trap because, you know, even though Jeskai Control or Jeskai Tempo or whatever you want to call it is the most popular deck in Modern, it, that wh what does that translate to? 6% of the metagame? 7% of the metagame? So, you know, while I might play it once or twice in the Invitational, statistically only once, if, if even at all, uh, I think that it's still fine for me to, to bring humans to the table just because I, I have so much experience with it and I feel very comfortable with it. And if my goal is to win the Invitational, then I don't need to XO Modern. I just need to, like, be 6-2 or 7-1 or something. So, mm -hmm. um, because the top 8 of the Invitational is standard. So, Humans just has to get me there. <laughs> right. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. And, right. 
Right. The shift that you care about is not necessarily some more Jess guy. The shift that you would care about is like if everybody started adding a lightning bolt or two and then adding some anger of the gods to their sideboard or something like mm-hmm. that. If that yeah. were more of what was going on. And and I mean, that's that's obviously impossible. That's not something that can happen in modern. Yeah, if like a ton of removal heavy decks start start getting percentage, then maybe that's something. Um, but that doesn't look like that's what's exactly what's happening. Yeah, for sure. And you make a good point in that like the metagame in the metagaming in modern is less contingent on actual decks that are being played, but m- like more contingent on what people are preparing for in a certain context. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's important to note that in the last couple of weeks, Dredge has been insanely well positioned. Dredge, from what I've heard, like crushed the RPTQs. Qualified multiple people for the Pro Tour through online PTQs and RPTQs and has just been generally dominating. And that's because, not because, you know, Dredge had a lot of good matchups, but just because people cut down on those cards in their decks that were good against Dredge, just because Mm -hmm. Dredge hadn't been popular. And that's just kind of like a well-known phenomenon of decks like Dredge and Affinity is that they kind of like are good in cycles of, you know, whether or not people are packing the hate for them. And I think that we, at least in the past couple of weeks, were on a swing of nobody really had any hate. Like, especially at the team event two weeks ago. Yeah. Dylan Donigan's list that he, you know, he won the tournament with didn't have a single piece of graveyard hate in the 75. <laughs> so that's just kind of where we were at. And, and none of the Blue White or Just Guy decks had rest in pieces in them. And yeah, yeah. 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 And we, we talked about this last week. It's just the nature of modern is once people start shaving those hate cards like that's what you look for and and you jump on um right. but it sounds like the the impetus isn't quite there for you to jump on dredge for this weekend huh yeah i was tempted for sure but i think that the players going to the invitational are going to be wise enough to see this happening and put some graveyard hate in their sideboard i know that i personally will be putting graveyard hate in my sideboard uh mm-hmm. probably a grafter's cage or two and I, I definitely know that I want Anafins of the Foremost in my sideboard again. Not only because of the Dredge matchup, but also because it's a four-toughness creature against Jeskai, which is just something that you should be looking for. Gotcha. So, that's yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I think, that, I think that people will be wise enough to adjust for it for this Invitational in particular. So I think that playing dredge because nobody knows about it is like uh the cat's out of the bag at this point you know if you if you did that a couple weeks ago i think it was an excellent excellent choice particularly at the rptq i think that that was just the perfect tournament for dredge yeah but this time i think that i'm just gonna stick with what i know best right now and that's the human deck i've been playing for a minute yeah we're kind of in week three of the the dredge is good again curve and that's when it kind of starts to drop off especially at a high level tournament like the invitational where people will understand what's going on there yeah i mean at the invitational it's not just like another modern open it's like people care about this tournament they want to win so they're gonna do their best to tune their sideboard in modern as much as they can to what they expect so i think that i think that people will will kind of wisen up a little bit for for dredge right right nobody's bringing the modern deck that they leave in the backseat of their car and, and bring to magic every week that's not what people are playing at this tournament yeah yeah I think that a lot of modern players are going to be doing that just because it's good to do that in general in the sense that you should play what you know, but nobody's going to be coming into the tournament with an untuned list. Right, right. Like, Caleb Shear is going to be playing Storm, but he's Mm -hmm. going to be playing Storm tuned to what he thinks is going to show up this weekend. Right. Uh, So, yeah, modern humans for me. 
I got a few changes to that. I don't know how much we go want to go into those in particular. Yeah, let's rattle them off. Unless unless there's anything particularly secret, you know, we don't want to. Not really. Yeah, the only card that I would like like to have nobody know about is Zathard Necromancer, and that's something that everybody knows about at this point, so. <laughs> yeah, it's a little late for that one. I'm really liking Hostage Taker. Uh, I've ended Ooh, up replacing okay. Fiend Hunters with Hostage Taker. Just because, the like, in the matchups where you want the Fiend Hunter effect, you're often taking things that, you, like, sometimes you can violin your Hostage Taker and then immediately cast whatever you steal, so your opponent, like, doesn't have an opportunity to kill it in time. A lot of the matchups where you want the Fiend Hunter or Hostage Taker is in these, like, the decks, like, against Death Shadow or Jund or something, where all of their threats are backed up by removal spells. So in that context, Fiend Hunter isn't very good because they'll just kill it and get their guy back. But Hostage Taker has the ability to potentially be a three for one in the context of uh, you don't have a guy, I have a guy, and another guy. So I think that that's just really powerful. I I was kind of desperately looking for some like a little extra firepower against Jeskai. And the conclusion that I came to was that you really want cards that are kind of guaranteed two for ones. Like, Kite Self Rebooter is good in a certain context, but against removal heavy decks, you know, you take their one removal spell and then they kill your guy with their other removal spell and then they have that removal spell back. So I, I put in more Sin Collectors in the sideboard because Sin Collector just gets the card out of their hand and isn't like contingent on Sin Collector existing on the board. And then, you know, I, I was talking a lot with Jonathan Rossum, Just Guy Master. <laughs> And he told me that the cards that he's most afraid of out of the humans deck are the cards that can get up to four toughness. So I put an, an Anathens of the Foremost back in the sideboard in order to have another four toughness creature that's still relatively inexpensive. And uh, it's also additionally Graveyard Hate against Dredge because I expect some players to be playing that this weekend. And then I threw a Graftigger's Cage in the sideboard. It's just... You know, the Graveyard of Hate that I think it'll be the most impactful and easiest to cast out of this deck. So that's kind of a summary of all the changes that I made. The The main deck is pretty much exactly the same as it's always been. Um, I've been kind of going back and forth between the, like what the mana base should look like. I, I do want to find space for more Horizon Canopies, but the more Horizon Canopies you put in your deck, the less, the harder it is to cast Mantis Rider without additional help. So sure. I'm trying to kind of find the balance between more horizon canopies and the ability to cast a mana strider effectively um, yeah yeah that's definitely one of the parts of the mana base that's you know you have to be very careful with what you if you have a fetch and either a horizon canopy or or a basic or something you have to be really careful with what you fetch you got to get the the blue source or you just can't mm -hmm. cast your mantis riders yeah right and for a little bit i was actually running uh so ben feingers ran humans at the the team open and I think his team got like 11th or something. And he had a pretty interesting mana base of no fetch lands, four horizon canopies, one razor verge thicket, one seachrome coast, one plains. So no mm -hmm. fetch lands, but just like kind of like one of each of those things. The problem with this though is that there are, with so many green white lands in particular, right. uh, it's just kind of tough to cast some spells. So. Yeah. Anytime you get two of those, it's it's really stressful. Like you, yeah. you don't know if you're gonna be able to manage rider your opponent, and that's that's a tough situation to be in. <laughs> yeah. I always want to be manage riding my opponent. Just in general. <laughs> it's the in best. Life. It's so good. <laughs> Especially when your manage rider is a four four for whatever reason. It's just 
That's, that's I don't know why. Big, I don't know why or how, but for some reason, whenever I attack with Mana Strider, it feels like it's always for four. It's yep. pretty strange and a, definitely a good feeling. <laughs> it's it's so good, man. I mean, you know, yeah. Sarah Angel used to be a thing way back when. This is just basically three mana cheaper, right? Because haste haste counts as a mana discount, really. So that's it's just pretty amazing. Good. It's just the, it's just for a sure. sweet card. I'm 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 a big fan. Yeah, I, I know, I know, me too. So yeah, modern humans get there at least, you know, most of the way there. But you really got to be careful with your standard deck in this tournament because if you want to win. You're gonna have to win a lot yeah. of standard matches. So what are we thinking? Yeah, here? standard standard has been a struggle for me personally over the past, I guess, couple of, not couple of months, but like month or so, because I personally love finding new interesting angles to attack the format. So over and over and over again, I have tried to beat Teamer. Every week, I'm like, all right, you know, what's what's the deck that is gonna beat teamer and still be like good generally in the format so i tried blue white drake haven at the grand prix atlanta i tried blue green pummeler at the team open it, it felt like every single time i kept on losing to teamer and i'm kind of sad to say that if you can't beat him you should probably join him yeah. so for me it's i've been spending the last week or so trying to focus on finding the best build of teamer that i can just because the uh i think that there are definitely excellent opportunities to metagame and uh, you know attack the formats from new angles but that kind of all breaks down when the best deck is so good and so resilient to every angle that you might be approaching it from there's just no ulamogs anymore that can be an unanswerable card for teamer so uh, right right so for for me and I think a lot of the other players on my team, we've all kind of just accepted the fact that we're going to be playing a tune with the Ether uh, at this tournament, and uh, we've been we've been going pretty hard and trying to figure out what we want to do there. Yeah, and and even then, even after deciding teamer, like that's still a tough thing. I I just remember I saw a, a Twitter discussion today where oh yeah. Like like Brad Nelson and uh, Owen Hurtenwald are disagreeing on what the important cards in the mirror match are. Like whether Bristling Hydra is your worst card or an important card in the matchup, and whether or not Chandra is the most important card or unplayable. So like these <laughs> fundamental things are not decided even at the highest levels of play. So that's pretty yeah. incredible to me. Yeah, and that's kind of like the resistance that I've had to playing Teamer, where if I am going to play like the tier zero deck or whatever that's in the format. Um, I'm willing to do that, but I, if I'm going to a big event, I always want to have a significant edge in the mirror. Like I want to know things that my opponent doesn't know. I want to be sideboarding in a way that is going to take advantage of what I expect them to do. I still want some sort of edge. And my resistance to playing teamer up until this point was that I just couldn't find any edge. And part of that was because I think that there are so many different ways to build teamer there's straight teamer there's teamer black there's four color energy there's like infinite different like variants and people have infinite different opinions on what's what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to sideboard that there was just no succinct way to boil everything down in some easily malleable concoction of something that i could you know use to my advantage because everybody was doing something different. So the kind of the conclusion that we came to is that 
you know, there are definitely a few key things that we've noticed out of a lot of these decks that we're trying to, you know, take advantage of in a certain context. But generally, we just want our proactive game plan to be as powerful as possible, and we want to be doing the most powerful thing that we can um, in the mirror. So what does that mean? So uh, one thing that we're doing that is, I think, a little unique is that we are playing straight teamer, which I think a lot of people are you know, pretty big proponents of, mm -hmm. but we're not playing any glory bringers. Oh, okay. Yeah. This I gotta um, hear about. We're also not playing any Chandras. See, that that I can get behind. The Glorybringers thing, though, I'm gonna need some convincing, I think. Because um, I've, I've been pretty medium on Chandra, especially in the mirror. Like, being on the draw and having a Chandra, especially without a Servant, is just, like, really gnarly. Um, but the Glorybringers thing, uh, zero Glorybringers, uh, that's, that's something you gotta convince me about, for sure. Um, yeah, and kind of one of the reasons that we decided to do what we were doing is that we noticed that Chandra's Defeat in particular was a very powerful card that a lot of people were utilizing in the mirror to pretty good effect. Just because yep. Glorybringer like, was a powerful card, and so is Chandra, I think. Uh, at least a lot of people had a bunch of Chandra's in their deck all the time, and sometimes they run away with the game. So as kind of an answer to that, a lot of people brought in a bunch of Chandra's Defeats, and we actually noticed that by trimming or cutting entirely all of these like big powerful red threats that we had in our deck. Blanking Chandra's Defeat was kind of one of the ways that we could put dead cards in our opponent's hand. Mm -hmm. You know, even after we did this, something that I noticed is that we, I never really missed these cards because we replaced the Glorybringers with two Sky Sovereigns. And Sky Sovereign arguably is just better than Glorybringer. Like, there are a few cards that, you know, survive through the, the trigger or whatever, but the Sky Storm, I think, is actually just better against your opponent leaving up removal spells in on your turn, just because you have the opportunity to not crew it and not attack it. So if your right. opponent's, like, passing with four mana up or two mana up and you believe that it's just very clear that they have some sort of removal spell, it's just so easy to just, you know, not crew and attack with the rest of your dudes if you're in a position to do so. Or just like pass and make them waste their mana and their card in their hand for as long as they want to prevent you from attacking with uh, the Sky Sovereign. So an argument that a lot of people were making was that, oh, Sky Sovereign's worse because it dies to more removal. But I think the counter argument to that is that it actually just like dies to removal less often. Like, mm -hmm. you know, Vraska's Contempt and Harness Lightning are only going to kill it when you want that to happen or you're okay with that happening otherwise you just like don't have to use your your vehicle right it's really just a braid vulnerability yeah That's and, the and sure you know it is going to die to a braid more often and and a braid is a card that doesn't kill Glorybringer, but i think that that's just kind of like equity that we're okay with with losing out a little bit um and gotcha. the read that we've got is that there just aren't as many braids in any of the lists as there used to be. Like, Godfrey's Gift is on a pretty heavy decline, and I think that the reaction to that is that people have just, like, n nobody's on f the four-braid teamer list anymore. It's like it's like maybe one or two, and a lot of people are of the opinion that they're just not great in the mirror either. So, you know, sometimes you board down to just one or even none of them post-board if you haven't seen the Sky Sovereign, so... Oh yeah, they are not great in the mirror if your opponent is not running Sky Sovereign. I mean, especially on the play, that's like you just don't really have have room for them. Like on the draw, I, I've been into cutting Long Tusk Cubs for more removal, 
but on the play, I haven't had room to have a braids in my deck in the mirror. That just and 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 they're terrible a lot of the time. So I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of like some some interesting like takes that we've had on the team mirror. We don't have like an extreme edge or anything, but uh, I think that we've got like you know we're 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 getting some percentage points where we can, and our deck is generally still as powerful as it could be. Um, uh, in the context of just like you know, the fact that Teamer is just easily the best deck in the format, I think. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting. Playing online lately, I think I ran through two leagues in an afternoon and didn't play a single mirror, which was pretty astounding. I think that's more a result of people getting really tired of playing Teamer, um, and since <laughs> a comp league isn't like a real, you know there's prizes but it's not an event the way that an open or especially an invitational are so you can afford mm-hmm. to just play search for Ascanta because you're sick of casting servant of the conduit right right so i, I think that may be what's happening there but yeah I, I don't expect that to happen at the invitational so I, I think prepping for the mirror is very important yeah agreed definitely yeah i mean if you're yeah if you're playing in in standard right now you've got to have an idea of what like if your opponent leads with attuned with the ether then you you, you need to have a plan so yep yeah i mean so are we pretty much thinking that the invitational is just going to be teamer mirrors all day long or like, uh it's just I hard so. to say anything <laughs> <to> about. <laughs> so you yeah. feel good about this plan yeah i mean I, I feel good about my knowledge of how the games play out which is like just a really good place to be so i think the the majority of the matches that i've been losing online have been to more fringe decks like i'm kind of counting on the fact a little bit that a lot some of these like team or hate decks have been forced out of the format a little bit by certain cards like like the tokens decks kind of are having a lot of trouble just because so many team or variants are playing vraska and like control decks are all having a hard time just because their team or matchup is just never as good as they think it is so, but those are definitely some of the decks that I've been losing to a little bit as like the weirder, more fringe decks. So, if I, I'm, I've, I've been like my 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 win rate in Teamer Mirrors in particular has been very very high just because uh, I think that we've got a good plan and you know I I feel like I I know how the matchup plays out as as well as you can right now. So, and does that um, include matches against like four color energy where instead of Glorybringers they're they've got Scarab Gods? Are, are you doing well in those two? Oh yeah, just I, I guess I'm just kind of like grouping all of the energy decks together to okay. a certain context. Because cool. um, I would be a little concerned because because you know you slow your you know your lethal turn down a little bit when you're replacing Glorybringers with Sky Sovereigns, and, and that's like one of the advantages that the straight teamer deck has. You know, a lot of times how it wins that matchup is it just gets them before their um, black cards come online. Right. Um, so I didn't know if if maybe you were costing yourself some of those percentage points. Well, I mean, so the a lot of the like the heavy black energy decks like four color and then like splash black, they're definitely uh, like they're operating under the assumption that they're going to be able to grind you out. But I think that honestly that might just be a misevaluation of how these matchups play out. Like a lot of people are like, okay, mid range mirror, you want to go bigger and and go over the top of everything, and then you want to have like the last big thing to be played, and you want to be accumulating advantage, you know, throughout the game with your siphoners or whatever. And wh- while some of the games play out like that, and it is true that like sometimes Scarab God runs away with the game, 
I found that like the teamer deck can actually grind just as well as anything else. And the 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 black variants don't have like actually that much more percentage of grinding over the teamer variants. Like I'm playing four confiscation coups in my deck this weekend. So you know if you're if you're like leaning on like having your uh, your scarab god survive or you know whatever big threat that you're putting in to hopefully run away with the game. Either you 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 really need to make sure that you don't get tempoed out. And um, one thing that I've found with the scarab god is that you there's a lot of times where you are on the back foot just because your deck is a little slower and more clunky and your mana isn't curving out as well as the other decks so when you are like resolving your five five for five sometimes it's just a five five for five and you like you need to be not dead immediately or you need to be not so far behind that you can come back with like a four mana activation to put another four four on the board sometimes that's just not enough and you're like dying to flyers or you're dying to just kind of like the general big creatures that you have. So I think that it's like the the these t- energy mirrors, like even if it's just like the the four color decks or whatever, are I think more tempo oriented than people recognize. So you know you, you just need to make sure that you're not getting you're getting tempoed out and you're not losing so much of what I think makes teamer very good in the context of on curve each card is very powerful and you you're like allowing yourself to curve out effectively with all these very powerful cards. So, like, I think that a lot of the black decks have actually given that up a little bit and are, like, playing more grindy cards, but they're just kind of, like, less powerful in, in or less, like, less tempo-oriented than, than they should be, so. Yeah, and it is definitely kind of a weird definition of tempo. It's less like riding a, a cheap creature and disruption to victory and more like the haymakers are so powerful that you get overwhelmed quickly by confiscation coup or sky sovereign or something right so yeah yeah definitely a a different sort of tempo analysis there yeah i guess i guess if you're that heavy on confiscation coups and with sky sovereign just flying past then scarab god is not that scary and it's really just uh vraska that you you kind of have to worry about but you know Planeswalker, she's six mana. Planeswalkers have their own set of, sets of weaknesses, especially if the matchup ha- is in a, a tempo staged. So, right. yeah. Yeah. I've just found so often that, like, my opponent plays a Scarab God, and then, like, I play a boat and then attack through with a bunch of stuff, and then they, like, reanimate a thing, and then I hit them for six with the boat, and then they reanimate another thing, and then I hit them again for six with the boat, and then they're just dead. Mm-hmm. And, like, somehow the boat just, like, trumps the Scarab God more often than not. Like, if, you know, if both things are going unanswered, then, honestly, I would just kind of rather be on the boat side. Right. Um, right. Unless, yeah, you'd, you'd have to each start the game at, like, 40 life for the Scarab God to, to beat the boat. But the boat just, like, gets yeah. the value adds up right. more quickly. Yeah, the boat, the boat has just been so insane because the boat, like, trumps Glorybringer. It kills Chandra every time. It can race the Scarab God. It just does so many things that I'm, I'm a believer. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I know you've been um, aboard the boat for quite a while. So. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, if you, know, if you have any history of, of me and the boat, I'm, me and the boat get along pretty well. Uh, <laughs> I do love me some boat action. Yep, that's legit. So I'm, I'm, excited to, I'm excited to play it again this weekend, despite, you know, the occasional... I, I'm, I'm sure it's going to get abraded once or twice this weekend, and it's not going to feel good, but... I think that you oh, get more sure. equity than you're losing there. So. Yep. Yep. And I mean, people, I feel like every week, 
we say, I think people are not running enough of braids. But, but I mean, maybe they are running enough of braids and it's just an angle that somebody needs to attack the format by is take advantage of the fact that a braid is not that good right now. So maybe that's what you're doing here. Right, um, right. I, w- I will go as far as to say that running zero glory bringers in teamer is not just a tweak to teamer. I think that is like a pretty legit, relatively hard meta call. And if it works out, then you're gonna, you guys are going to look pretty smart i think so mm-hmm. yeah like like this is a legit decision and and yeah i i hope it works I, I i really hope it works out that would be super sweet to watch yeah um yeah and i i'm pretty comfortable with our list i think it's very tight i'm not going to share all the 75 but you know i I'm, i feel pretty good about it i think well on this episode will go up on thursday so hopefully you know not too many people will have yeah, totally digested not, it not terribly worried like, about it yeah I feel like most people you play against will still automatically sideboard in Chandra's defeat because that's what you do. So yeah, definitely. So we've got we got a little bit of tech. Kind of excited to uh, see what happens at the Invitational. Yeah, should be really cool. I think that's probably pretty much it for this week. I think we can we can cut it short and let you get back to work. I guess not even cut it short. We've been recording for an hour, so that's that's a really <laughs> legit episode. <laughs> yeah, I think that we covered a lot of good stuff. Talked about what we needed to. Yeah, I just, you know, just want to express my excitement for the Invitational this weekend. Always pretty pumped for these events. And uh, I guess we'll see how it goes. Time yeah, to roll man. the dice. Good, good luck. I hope you kill it. Awesome. Thanks, man. Okay, so thanks to everybody again for listening. This has been the MTG Grindcast. You can find us on Twitter. The podcast Twitter is at MTG underscore Grindcast. I am starting to post screenshots from various uh, uh, iconic masters draft shenanigans because it's a format that lends itself to shenanigans. So, you know, if you're into that, maybe maybe come follow us and, and see some of these things that are happening because they're pretty great. Um, you can also follow... <laughs> um, yeah, I, the last screenshot I posted was... I don't know if you saw this, but I had oh, triple, I saw it. <laughs> triple dragon. Triple dragon hand. Play. Yeah, three dragons, all uncastable, dead to a spirit monger the next turn. Just normal, <laughs> iconic masters. Oh, you know, it's just how how magic goes. Yeah, I mean, it is it is just how magic goes, and that's one of the beautiful parts about it. But when it happens to you, you have you have a decision about how you're gonna respond to it, I guess. Um, yeah. You guys can also find Collins on Twitter. Uh, his Twitter is. Oh, sorry, that's, uh, that's it, your job. <laughs> it's uh, at Collins Mullen. Pretty simple. And, yeah, watch him in the Invitational this weekend. Uh, and, yeah, just be cool to each other, man. Be nice Be nice to people you meet. Encourage people. Um, we can have an awesome community, and there's no need to, to be a jerk. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's it. All, All right, right, see you guys next week. Until next time. Until next time, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right.